Hello, everyone, and I'm back here on To The Point Podcast. So everybody had a great Canada Day long weekend. I know I certainly did. Got some good downtime. Got to visit some old friends, and it, it was great. Canada Day is my favorite holiday. It always it has been for some time. Christmas is obviously great with family and, and everything that comes with it. But I love Canada. I have a Canada Day tattoo. If you're looking on on video, I have a Canadian flag on my arm. That I, I love this country. We got a whole lot of problems. And yes, it's imperfect, but like all of us, we are imperfect beings. So, but I love that we get to acknowledge it every year. It's normally filled with a barbecue or, you know, fireworks every year. It's a celebration. You know, normally Christmas can be positive or negative for different people. I think Canada Day is just a universal love. There's no attachment. It's just a day of, you get a day off from work. That's always nice. You get to be around people you like, at least I think so. If you're not, then maybe find a way out of that situation. But it, it, it's a, I just love the holiday. It's always fun. I got to visit, like I said, I got to visit some some friends I hadn't seen in a long time. It was really good to see them, uh, you know, people that I love. So it was really good, really good that way. And like I said, I haven't been on the air since Tuesday. Last week was just a busy week. I was fortunate enough to be able to go to the Memorial Cup, which was a fantastic experience on multiple fronts. First off, I want to thank my cousin, Sawyer Hanna, who I would not have gone without him. He was nice enough to ask to get a second ticket, and I will be forever grateful for that. But I got to see the game, which in and of itself was fantastic. Congratulations to the St. John Sea Dogs on winning the Memorial Cup on home ice. Really special. You got to see... Um, the true fans of St. John that you know live and die for the Sea Dogs. There was a couple in front of me at the game. They were crying after the game. They were uh, sharing a really, uh, really big smooch right in front of me. And these were probably middle-aged people. But you know what? Good for you. Your team won. It doesn't happen every day. So that was really good to see. Uh, you know the people really enjoy the game. Obviously the the young men uh, playing got to raise the the cup and. Beyond the fact that it took too long for them to get it through all the sponsorship, thank yous, and all that BS and the booing of Blaine Higgs, that was another little fun, little fun nugget from the game. But what was great for me is you get to see the game. Then after, I got to meet some really cool people, and I just wanted to uh, start the show by saying I met the the people from Bar Down, and Bar Down, if people are not aware, are affiliated with TSN, and I got to meet Jesse. You get to meet Jesse Pollock. I got to meet uh, Corwin, uh, Luca, and Regan. Uh, really awesome people. Um, you know, they put out great content. And it was, you meet people, and you don't know what to expect. They were, they couldn't have been nicer. Uh, they, they really were genuine, really good people. And I, I appreciate that. Um, I hope to keep in touch with, with some of them as we move forward here. But it was it was a really cool experience that I got to meet people in the sports industry, and I had a conversation about the NFL at one o'clock in the morning at a at a at a, a crunchy bar in St. John. You know, I got to talk about Justin Jefferson in the in the Minnesota Vikings offense. So that was really cool to get to do that. And like I said, they couldn't have been nicer. Uh, they came out for drinks with us. They were really hospitable. 
And we, you know, me and Sora tried to show them around uh, New Brunswick a bit and see what they thought of it. So I hope they had a good time. I know I did. And uh, again, I can't thank Sora enough for that. And the fact that, you know, you got to meet some, some pretty cool people throughout the night. I was in, you know, right around the area of Kevin Sawyer, of Cheryl Pounder, who were working the Memorial Cup event for the mothership at TSN. That was really cool in and of itself. So a nice, nice experience at the Memorial Cup. Great for the province. Hopefully it can lead into the World Junior Hockey Championship, which will also be a, a, you know, a big success for this province. It's nice to see money coming back in. It's nice to see people going to events. Masks are coming off. The fear's gone, hopefully. And if you wear one, there's no no um, no shame here. So that that's the great thing about last week. Loved every second of it. And like I said, thank you so, so much. Now, I said I haven't been on the air since Tuesday. We have a lot to talk about today. The NHL, the NBA has been crazy. And I, I don't want to... I don't want to talk about this to start the show, but I have to. There was another mass shooting today in Chicago at the Parkland 4th of July um, celebration. And I get this is a a sad topic, and I, I talk about sports, but I want to talk about life. This is, and I do this every couple weeks, and I realize if... If you, if you listen to me for sports and I go on a little tangent about life topics and you're not into it, skip ahead. I get it. I really do. Sometimes you just you hear enough of it, but I have my platform. I want to talk about it. And I remember I, if you listen to me often, I talked about this a couple weeks ago with the big mass shooting. And, you know, it's crazy because in life you forget. Thankfully, time allows you to forget, but you always come back to things. There's always dates. If you have a Facebook account, it gives you reels, gives you memories. Why do we remember 9-11? Because it's such a a big day. I I can recall that I don't remember the day, but my mother tells me I was playing on the floor with toys. I remember the Justin Bork situation because I was in high school and we had to go home. It was a crazy, crazy day. Well, I look at the United States. You're having a 4th of July celebration and somebody kills five people so far, 16 wounded, 20, 25 shots fired. It's just sickening that in the past couple weeks, the conversation hasn't been about mass shootings. It hasn't been about the families that are losing loved ones for no good reason. The conversation has shifted to what well, we can't lose our, our fifth amendment, right? We need to have our guns just because this is happening. That doesn't, we can't lose our, our gun privileges. Well, in life, I learned from my parents, you earn, you work for what you, you get what you, you, what you pay for, right? If you work really hard, you end up, doing better in life, hopefully. Sometimes life doesn't work out, shit happens. But also, you only get to do something if you've earned the right. I remember a conversation I had very early in life with my mother. She told me, Noah, you can stay out as long as you want. You don't have a curfew. But if somebody, if you get in a car with a drunk driver, 
if you drink and drive, or if you don't text me when you get home, that privilege will be gone. I never forgot about that because I never have had a curfew in my life. Again, I'm 20, going to be 24 now. That's gone. But I was a young kid. I drank at a young age. And that was an understanding that I had with my mother. But I knew if I crossed that line, I would lose that privilege. And again, that's an isolated incident. But sometimes in life, stuff happens. What happened in the Supreme Court that affects more than one person? All women in the United States now may not be able to have an abortion. That affects so many people. So that Supreme Court ruling can happen. Well, what I've seen is our the politicians in the United States are not doing enough to regulate guns. It's been a couple of weeks. We can make changes. You know how much technology we have? Do you know much data that we have on everything? Call Elon Musk. Call Google. Call Jeff Bezos. Get some data on people that have guns. It's not that fucking hard. People have been violating their right to have to, the right to bear arms. People have taken it for granted. And I understand the person that likes to hunt, the person that feels they need it for their family safety. Don't really get that unless you might be African-American. Then I might get it. But if you're a white, straight male, why the fuck do you need a gun? Who are you? Are you you're not using it to protect yourself. You're probably using it to go out there and hurt other people. But these people that are killing other innocent people have taken the right away from the people that just have it for security reasons. To me, guns need to go. It's as simple as that because all we're going to hear is another mass shooting. And I have to talk about it on this show. People have to talk about it on different news networks other than Fox. And we'll hear about all these things that are happening. Sometimes in life, life's not fair. And sometimes other people's actions affect innocent bystanders, i.e., the mass shooting today. Those people went to a 4th of July parade to hope to celebrate their country. They ended up dead. They did nothing wrong today. They were just like me on Canada, hoping to celebrate the great country that they live in. Instead, now they're being put in the ground. Enough. I'm sick of these stories where nothing happens. We put people in charge. We put people in control so that these type of situations don't happen. Joe Biden, state regulators, people in charge. Something has to change because eventually mass shootings will just be an isolated incident. It'll be a drug overdose. It'll be something we just said, well, that's too bad. That's too bad. It's too bad it happened today. This can't continue to happen. To me, it's a very simple solution. No more guns. They're gone. You lost that privilege because your brothers in arms, pun intended, use them improperly. Use them for harm. Use them to kill your other brothers and sisters. Sometimes life isn't fair. Sometimes another person's actions affect you. Sometimes you're just an innocent bystander and you get shot. 
Well, to me, if I can protect the innocent bystander or if I can protect the person with the gun's rights, I know who I'm siding with. It's really not that hard to me. You need some protection? Buy a bat. Buy a fucking shovel. Put it under your bed. Do what you got to do. Because guess what? You get hit with a bat, you can stop somebody rather quickly, a little faster than I'd say a gun. In particular, a semi-automatic weapon. Fourth of July, it's a celebration. This shouldn't be the conversation. And I'm talking about a country that isn't even ours, but it's so important to me. Because those people that died today are just like me and you. There's no difference. Okay, they're American. We're Canadian. We're the same. We're the same people. I'm thankful that we, that we don't have the right to bear arms in this country. I truly am. We have our, we have believe me, we have lots of problems in this country. Our our prime minister being the prime one, but at least we don't have to go to work, to a parade, to a restaurant, to school, worrying about somebody firing the gun off. Primarily. Sometimes it happens because people get them. But nine times out of ten, you don't. Because there is no right that you to bear arms in this country. You want to go hunting? Go hunting. Sign up your hunter's course, do all that. But we don't have to worry about that. It's another sad state of affairs. I can't imagine being an American citizen and hearing constantly, and I can't watch the news anymore because every saw, every news station is so fucking biased. But that is what you have to look at every day. And you don't hear any solution as to what we're going to do to stop this from happening. It would infuriate me. It's infuriating me. and I'm, I'm in Rexton, New Brunswick. I've never been to Chicago. And it still pisses me off. So I can't imagine being a citizen there while, all the, while this happens every other week. Nothing. No change. No talk of it. Anyway, I, we're gonna, I'm going to pivot back to sports here. But I feel I just had to get that off my chest today because every time I see something like this, it it just it it tells you how number one how fragile life is. What about how stupid, how fickle, and how hard headed some people can be? That the right to hold a little gun is more important than the safety of their fellow citizens. I don't understand it. I'll never understand it. But that's the that's the way life is right now, unfortunately. National Hockey League. Easy transition, but we're going to do it. Lots happened over the last week. We had some signings. We had a big trade. But I want to start today... I want to start today talking about the Tampa Bay Lightning because they had a number of business done over the last week. Some good business, some business that may hurt them down the line. But let's get into it. So yesterday, the Tampa Bay Lightning traded 
star defensive defenseman Ryan McDonough, who has four years and $6.5 million remaining on his contract, to the Nashville Predators for Philip Myers, the New Brunswicker who has one year left on his deal, and a prospect. This was, in essence, a, a salary trade. The Tampa Bay Lightning are going to need to open up cap room to make signings. They, you know, they openly said they did not want to trade Ryan McDonough, which I totally understand because if you listen to this podcast, nobody is a bigger fan of Ryan McDonough than me. Tampa is not, did not, would not have won two straight Stanley Cups, would not have gotten to a third cup final without Ryan McDonough. Fantastic trade from the Rangers to Tampa Bay. He was worth every penny. And I did see a little deterioration in play this season, in, in particular in the playoffs. I felt he got worse. He struggled in some big games. But I'll bank on him getting back. He was he- getting back healthy and playing well. He goes to the Predators, where the Predators for a decade plus have been predicated on the back end. They've gone through Ryan Ellis. They've gone through Ryan Suter. They've had Shea Weber, Matias Ekholm, Roman Yossi. Go, th- go through that team. It has been a defensive-minded team. And I like this I like this trade for the Nashville Predators. And here's why. Nashville lost in the first round of the playoffs last year. But Nashville is in a position where they got Johansson, who had a great season following a number of bad ones. Matt Duchesne had a great year. It's tough to bank on him being as great again next year. But Nashville is not that far away from being competitive, in particular in the Western Conference. Make a few moves. You get some young players playing well. They got McDonough. They got Yossi Ekholm, Dante Fabro on the back end. They have some pieces there. And they also have UC Saros, who I believe is going to be a number one goaltender. There are very few guys that can start 50 to 55 games a season anymore or even get close to 60. I think Saros has the potential to do it year in, year out. He was nominated for the Vesna this past season. He's one of the smallest goaltenders in the NHL. He's not even six feet tall, but the dude can flat out play. So you have a top-notch goaltender. You have a very solid defense core. That is how you win in today's game. I mentioned last week, Colorado winning with an average goaltender is an outlier. It is, because normally you have an elite goaltender. We also have to look at the Colorado Avalanche team. That is a superb team. That's one of the, such a phenomenal construction. And following their fantastic play in the playoffs, one of the most dominant teams in recent memory, going 16-4 and in the entire postseason. McKinnon, Rantanen, Makar, Bowen Byram. I can go through the list. I'm not going to bore you with it again. I talked, to them, I talked about them a ton. But that roster is loaded top to bottom. And I look at Nashville. UC Saros is a better goaltender than, than, uh, than Darcy Kemper. He is. I think he can be a number one. I don't, Darcy Kemper is more of a tandem goaltender, often injured. So you have a better goaltender. The back end is very solid in Nashville, which is so important. Having a number one defenseman is practically... It's practically, you, you. it's almost a lock that you need one to win a Stanley Cup. You go through it. John Carlson, Victor Hedman, Kale McCarr, Duncan Keith, Drew Doughty, Zdeno Chara. The list goes on and on. You need a number one defenseman 
in, in particular, an elite number one, not a question mark guy. You need a number one defenseman to win a cup. Nashville has that with Roman Yossi. They got nice parts. And then up front, something that needs to be done this offseason is they need to re-sign Philip Forsberg. Philip Forsberg is a pending unrestricted free agent. He's a guy that scored over 40 goals last year. I think he's more of a 30 to 35 goal scorer, but he's a very skilled. He's got a great shot off the wing. He's a good player. Very good player. And for him, I think he was offered eight times eight, which that's a lot of money. That's a really good contract. To think he's going to get more in the open market, maybe he will. But Nashville's a tax income tax-free state, which has its advantages. I'll talk about that with Nick Paul and Tampa in a minute. So you're taking home a lot more money than you will elsewhere, unless he goes to Florida or somewhere in, in that area. But you got an income tax-free state. So that's a nice little addition for, for Philip Forsberg. And you get eight years, that stable number. He, he can get seven elsewhere, but unless he's chasing a cup, but I can't see a team that is going to win a Stanley Cup be able to offer Philip Forsberg $8 million, and they're not going to offer him a seven-year term. I just don't see it. He's a very good player, but can he be a bet? Can he be the best player on a championship-winning team? No, he can't. He's likely not going to be your second best player on a championship-winning team. He might be your third or fourth best player on a on a team that wins the Stanley Cup, Philip Forsberg. And that that has value, no doubt about it. He's a top six player, but he's more of a top six. He's not a top three. He's top three last year in Nashville. They're out in the first round. So Nashville is in a weird predicament where if Philip Forsberg may walk for nothing, which is tough because he would have gotten a, a lot at the trade deadline. They decided to stick with him. They made the playoffs. They ended up you know, getting bowed out pretty damn quick to Colorado. But now, I mean, the longer this goes, the more likely he leaves the team. We got the draft on Thursday, the first round. Free agency starts the 13th, which is next week. So it's all happening very quick here. I would take the deal from Philip Forsberg. I go back to Nashville because this team is in an interesting position. For a while, look, okay, this team has to rebuild. I, I changed that outlook, and I don't think David Poyle has that look of the team either because you don't trade for Ryan McDonough if you're going to rebuild. He has four years left on this deal. He clearly accepted Nashville because he had a full no trade because he believed this team would be competitive. Ryan McDonough is not going to Arizona to ride out the rest. That's not his mindset. He wants to keep winning. He won in, in Tampa. He wants to do it. He wanted, he got far in New York. He's a winner. That's just Ryan McDonough. That's who he is. So at Nashville, if you can't bring in Philip Forsberg, if you can't re-sign him, I would be aggressive on the open market. I try to bring in another Ford. I kick tires on Johnny Goudreau. And we're going to bounce around here, but just I'm throwing around names. And these are all names we're going to talk about today. But Nashville should be a team that looks at Johnny Goudreau and says, do you want to come play here? Who doesn't want to live in Nashville? I haven't met anybody yet. What's not to like? Okay, weather's not as good as L.A. or Florida, but again, income tax-free state, not bad. 
Johnny Gaudreau, reportedly, I read this this morning, turned down an eight-year, $9.5 million extension by the Calgary Flames. First off, I wouldn't have offered him nine and a half. I was always told by people, you'd be a good GM. I don't think I would be anymore because I'm not overpaying for people. Johnny Gaudreau had a great season, great player, but he had a down year before this one. Then it was a contract year. Seems to be great year, then bad year. Great year, bad. So he's inconsistent. That's what that tells me. Scares the hell out of me to give this guy a long-term deal. Because he seems like the type of guy that is going to be very content. What I mean by that is he gets a long-term deal. It's all guaranteed. He's good. He can put his feet up. He can play the way he wants to play. And before you know it, Daryl Sutter's fired, and you got him on the books for another seven years rotting away while your team stinks. They offered him eight at nine and a half. If I'm Calgary, that is my final offer. I'm not going up another $500,000. i am not going up another $10. I'm not going up $0.10. Cents. That's the deal. I go full uh, Steve Eisenman with Steven Stamkos' negotiation. If you want this deal, it's on the table. Just give me a call. You're not going to get a cent more from me. So no, when you call me back, it's a yes, and you'll take it. Otherwise, don't call me. That's what he did with, with uh, Stamkos when he was a free agent. And Stamkos was interviewing with other teams, including the Toronto Maple Leafs. Johnny Gaudreau is, did his play last year earn, you know, value him at as a $10 million forward? Yes, for sure. You can, or you could argue it, it values him at $11 million. He's a very good player, but would I sign him for that money? I wouldn't. What I find crazy in today's game, and just, this is every sport. And I guess I shouldn't because all these business people, all these owners are so greedy and they make so much money. But nine and a half million is a lot of money. I'd rather be happy and make nine and a half than go somewhere cold, be less happy, and make 11. And again, Calgary's not great in the winter. I was there at Edmonton in December. It's fucking freezing. But he must like Calgary. He's been there forever. He could have left after his RFA status. He decided to stay. If he loves Calgary and you don't want to move, you don't want to buy a new house, you don't want to go through that process, do all that junk, take nine and a half. If you want to go home, I get it. But if he wants to go home to Philly, he's from the Philly, New Jersey area. If you want to go into Philly to take 11, you're not winning shit in Philly. I think John Tortorella will eat this guy alive. Those two are not a good... Daryl Sutter is a very different coach than John Tortorella. I think people think they're the same. They're not. Torts will be extremely hard on Johnny Goodrow. I don't see that mixing well. I think that's a disaster from jump. And sometimes it's better to stick with what you know. But if I'm the Calgary Flames, I am not offering... A cent more. Frustrating if one of the best players of the last decade walks from your walks from your team. I get it. But sometimes you got to take a stance. I'd rather sign Matthew Kachuk long-term than sign Johnny Goudreau long-term. Matthew Kachuk brings you more value. He does a lot of different things on the ice in a positive way.
Goudreau's great, but if he walks, maybe you can get a top-end defenseman. Calgary doesn't have a number one defenseman. But I've been saying you need a number one defenseman to win a Stanley Cup. They currently don't have one. There's a report that Jacob Chikrin's going to remain in Arizona. Okay. Arizona said that forever. We'll keep players, and they often trade them. I make a call on him. Johnny Gaudreau walks. You have a lot of money. You have a lot of cap dollars you could have put on him. Go make a deal. Go make a trade for somebody that can really influence your back end. You have one of the best goalies in the world. Let's get a number one defenseman to pair with that guy. Could You have Kachuk. Add some other players. Add some other talent that can make a big difference on your team. But if I'm the Preds, I'm not overpaying for him, but I'm at least I'm asking about his availability. I'm saying, hmm, what do you want for him? If I'm the Preds, I check in on Andre Palat. You just got Ryan McDonough. Go steal Palat from Tampa too. Why not? Go see what, what Palat wants. Does he, does he want to come to Nashville? Does he like it there? Could he see his family enjoying it? Be aggressive because by acquiring McDonough, this does not signal waving the white flag. This does not signal we are going to rebuild. Your team is in a position now where you can compete. You have two things that teams across the National Hockey League are starving for. Top-notch goaltending and great defensemen. GMs would literally kill other GMs to get those two pieces. You have them both. Don't trade those pieces away for draft capital, hoping you can get it again because you have it right now. Live in the present. Be aggressive. Put a competitive team on the ice next year. Johansson and Duchesne are still locked up. You might as well be competitive now. You might as well put a team out there that you think it can, can win. Colorado's still going to be a very good team, but they're going to be different. Kadri's likely not going to be there. Is Darcy Kemper going to be back? Is Valerie Nikushkin going to be back? Andre Burakovsky? The team's going to be extremely, extremely different. So take advantage of your opportunity. Every year it's, it's, it can change. Do what you can to be competitive and do some damage. For Tampa in this deal, you get rid of McDonough. That obviously hurts your team. It does. You don't want to lose him. He's so he's still very valuable. I mentioned he had, he's had some decline, but I still love him as a player. We look at their team. They still have Victor Hedman. Still have Jan Ruda. Sergachev, Chernak, Bogosian, Cal Foote who I, they believe is going to step in and, and make an impact on this team. He played some in the postseason last year. They need to hope that he can develop into a, a top six defenseman night in, night out. And I, I think they're going to give him every opportunity. He's a draft pick of the team. When they draft players, they give them every chance and they want to develop them the right way. And not only that, but you get Philip Myers, who has one year left on his deal. They announced they're not going to buy him out. I thought that might happen because it would – freed up some more money through this trade and everything. They would have freed up over $7 million in cap space. But no, they're going to keep Philip Myers, and he's going to get an opportunity to play, potentially. And it's a fresh start for him. It went horrible in Nashville. 
a healthy scratch a lot of the year. He then got loaned to the Toronto Marlies, played in the American Hockey League. He needs to find some confidence. He's in a really good spot. And I'll be blunt here. For Philip Myers, if it doesn't work in Tampa, it's the reverse George Costanza. It's not us. It's you. It's not me. It's you. He's got to look in the mirror and say, oh, this might be about me. Because Nashville, okay, you can say, well, that organization did give me a fair shake. Okay. You get one mulligan. You get one. Now you get another opportunity in Tampa. Tampa usually doesn't fuck this up. Tampa usually doesn't trade for people and they don't give them an opportunity and people leave kicking and screaming. Marty St. Louis did, but he was a whiner his whole career. But for Phil, you're in a good spot. You get a fresh start. You can start your career again. You're in a contract season. Go play well and you can earn a good ticket somewhere else and you restart your career and you have a new lease on life. If it doesn't go well this year, he might be out of the league this time next year. It might sound harsh. That's just the nature of the business. Stuff happens. Sometimes you were touted, you look great in Philly, you moved to Nashville, it doesn't work, and it just sticks with you. Maybe Philly saw something that we didn't. But I wish him the best. Again, he's from New Brunswick. I met him a few times, nice guy. And he goes to Tampa with an opportunity to restart his career and reinvigorate himself, find some passion, play some good hockey. I, I hope he can find that in, in the Sunshine State. Tampa also, over the last couple of days, re-signed Nick Paul, who's the center iceman slash right winger who they acquired at the trade deadline last year, to a seven-year contract worth $3.15 million per season. Paul is a player that's a jack-of-all-trades. He's not an offensive-minded guy, but he's a very strong defensive center. He will block shots, and through these playoffs, I think it proved that he's a warrior. He's not afraid to he's not afraid to play hurt. He'll battle through. And he jumped onto the identity of the Tampa Bay Lightning and he he rode that the entire postseason run. This guy has intangibles up the wazoo and a guy that I think Tampa thinks fits easily into their system and into their culture. Couple thoughts on this deal. Number one, Ottawa Senators. If you're an Ottawa fan, you hate this podcast because I kick Ottawa in the shins a lot. That's not my fault. That's theirs. You wouldn't offer Nick Paul $3 million bucks. It's been reported that they wouldn't offer him $3 million. He wouldn't take it, and he decided to leave. Also, they, I don't think they would have offered him more than a two-year deal. So they let him. They trade him. Yes, they get Matthew Joseph in the deal, who is a good player, former St. John Dog. But Nick Paul, it was was drafted by Ottawa, by all intents and purposes, loved the Ottawa Senators, and they let him go. Well, he couldn't score goals, which I don't think he's going to score many goals in Tampa, to be honest. But he does compete, does play hard. Is he a great skater? No. Horrible skater. I joke that he teaches power skating clinics. But what did I do? What did What did I see? I saw a guy become a gamer in the playoffs. I saw a guy score two goals in a game seven where he won the game 2-1. I saw a guy play in key situations, play on a shutdown line when they asked him to. He did whatever the damn team asked him to do. 
Ottawa, on the other hand, a team that never gets close to the playoffs, a team that never is just Ottawa, the Ottawa Senators fail fundamentally at noticing what a player isn't and what a player is. Give you a few examples. They thought Nick Paul was going to be a great goal scorer. He never was. He was never a great skater. Yet they all, that was his, the knock on him. Well, he's not a great goal scorer. Yeah, he's not. But that doesn't mean he doesn't have any value. Not every player is a goal scorer. There you go. Colin White. Colin White, who they signed to a massive contract, who they believe was going to be a first-line right winger, who is always a checking-line guy, who is more of a fourth-line right winger than he ever was a first-line right winger, for a number of reasons. Number one, because his compete level always drifted. Number two, because he's hurt every second game. And number three, because you can just tell by watching him if you have any kind of common sense. But they signed him to a deal where he makes over $4 million a year, and now they may have to buy him out just to get him off the roster, which, knowing Ottawa, they won't do because they're cheap. So there's another guy where you look at the talent and you say, we need him to be this. Well, he isn't. Wanting him to be something and then acknowledging somebody that is acknowledging what he is, is what you have to do. They fail to do it fundamentally all the time. So I look at Ottawa and say, okay, you got Josh Norris. I like him a lot. Really good player. You got Drake Batherson. I like him a lot. Really good player. Could you have used Nick Paul as a third line center? Yeah, to me, you could have, you got Stutzla. You got Norris. You got Batherson on this team. Could have Nick Paul slid into that third line center role. Killed penalties. Scored the occasional goal. Been on a shutdown line against the opposing team's best players. I think that could have worked. I think he could have been effective. But they choose to let him go. It's just it's it's a bad move by by the by the Ottawa Senators. It's a stupid organization. They make stupid decisions, and. I view this as a failure because we just seen how great he was. Nick Paul couldn't have proved how good he was in the playoffs because Ottawa never gets there. They never sniff the playoffs. They don't get close. That's not Tampa. I love the I love this the signing. It's a great number. Seven years. So Nick Paul gets more security. But you would have had to pay him more if you signed him to a three-year deal. I think you would have wanted four million. You keep the number at three one five because you give him seven years. Would it look great on the back end of this contract? Likely not, but they're still in a competitive mode. Julian Brisewa still believes this team can compete for cups. So you lose McDonough. That hurts. But you keep Nick Paul. I think that's a, a very good, and you open up close to, it's over $6 million in cap room. So now the, the big thing for the Tampa Bay Lightning is try to keep Andre Pilat. Try to keep, he's so important to this. He's only played for Tampa. If I'm Andre Pilat, I don't want to leave Tampa. You still have a chance to compete. I think you'll get a decent number. Again, there's all the, the added bonuses to being in Tampa, like I mentioned. A seventh-round pick who turned into a great success. He has great chemistry with Kucherov and with Stamkos. But for Tampa, you're clearing up this money clearly for something. To me, it's to keep Andre Pilat on this roster. So that's their next plan of attack is to not let – I'm sure Palat wants to test the open market. But for me, if I'm him, I'm always keeping Tampa on speed dial because I might want to go, I might say, yeah, there's a bunch of money out here, but am I going to have an opportunity to win? I might still get a good number in Tampa that might satisfy me and my family. And I don't have to move. And like I mentioned all the things earlier. So 
I'm interested to see where it goes with Andre Palat and with the Tampa Bay Lightning after the moves they've made over the last couple of days. Head coaching hires. Detroit Red Wings did hire a Tampa Bay Lightning assistant. Last week, I, I pontificated that it was going to be Jeff Halpern, who runs the offense for the Tampa Bay Lightning for, on Ju- John Cooper's staff. I was wrong. Detroit hired Derek Lalonde, who runs the defense for the Tampa Bay Lightning on John Cooper's staff. So it was the opposite end of the bench. Lalonde has been there for a number of years. He's been a solid coach. He is bald. He, he does speak. He's bilingual. He speaks French. But he goes to Detroit where Steve Eisman hires a guy he knows very well. He had him in in, in, um, in Tampa. He gets him to come to Detroit. And for me, Lalonde gets to ease into this job because the team is still not very good. He gets a number of years to try to work this culture, to try to improve this team, make the perception of Detroit Red Wings not so defeatist, not so negative. You have Moritz Sider. You have Lucas Raymond. Phillips Zadina is still an unknown. She has some guys that you need to that need to pan out, but you do have a guy that won a Calder Trophy on the back end. I think he can be a number one defenseman on a team in the very near future. This this just speaks of a, a smart decision for the Detroit Red Wings because I trust Steve Eisenman. I believe he knows what he's doing. He knows what he wanted in a head coach. He knows Derek Lalonde very well. He brings him in. I have no problem with this hire. He's an unknown guy, but I like the fact that he's an unknown guy. He's never been a head coach. He's off the beaten path, and now he gets to create his own legacy in Detroit with Steve Eisenman, who was his GM in Tampa for a long time. The Boston Bruins hired Jim Montgomery. This is a good story. Jim Montgomery was the head coach of the Dallas Stars a number of years ago. The year, actually, that the season stopped, they went to the bubble. He was the head coach at the start of that season, and he was fired halfway through that season because of uh, conduct with the team. It was since reported that he did have a, a drinking issue, an alcohol abuse uh, issue, and he went to rehab. He got better, became an assistant coach with the St. Louis Blues, and now he's getting an opportunity to be a head coach again in Boston. He did everything to overcome his, his drinking problem. He Again, he went to rehab. He did what he had to do to improve his health, to improve his mental health. And I I love that he was in, in St. Louis under Craig Brube, had success there, and he's going to get another opportunity with, the, opportunity with the Bruins. For Boston, I'm glad it's not Mark Savard. I'm glad it's not a hire that is just a Boston Bruin prodigy that it's not just an ex-Bruin. I think it's a lazy way to do business. I think it's a lazy hiring process. Just look at their GM. Just look at their president. Go through it. They are all they all used to play for the Bruins. Yes, you love your alumni. That doesn't mean you need to hire all of them. But Montgomery gets another chance. He gets to work with a team that's in an interesting position. Is Boston the best job? No, but it's not the worst job either. You still have David Pasternak. You still have Patrice Bergeron, Marchand. This team's going through a lot of injuries. They're going to miss guys to start the season. But Jim Montgomery gets another chance to work with an older core and try to find some success, get back in the playoffs, and maybe have one more run of the title. I find it doubtful, but maybe he can find something that was missing last year under Bruce Cassidy. And clearly the Boston Brass believe that it got stale, believe that Bruce Cassidy's message was not getting through anymore, and they needed a switch up, that they needed a new coach to see what they could do. Uh, Jim Montgomery in his time with Dallas was a hard-nosed coach. 
he was a guy that I don't view, view him as a player's coach. I think he's tough on his players, and I think they're better for it. So I think for, for the Bruins, they have a number of guys that could use that. I think Bruce Cassidy and Jake DeBrusque had, had some issues because Bruce Cassidy was very tough on Jake DeBrusque, including with the media. I don't view Montgomery as that different of a coach. I don't think he's going to be easy on a guy like Jake DeBrusque. I don't think he's going to be easy on a guy like Charlie Coyle, which he shouldn't be because these guys are skilled forwards who don't give you a consistent effort, don't give you consistent heart night in, night out. So I'm interested to see how those relationships go. New coach, but we could see the same thing where to start the season, it's all it's you're on good footing with Jim Montgomery. And before you know it, Jake DeBrusque is back in the doghouse because he's giving lackluster efforts and he's asking for a trade early into next season. Finally, the Winnipeg Jets hired Rick Bonus. This came out of nowhere. I thought Winnipeg was going to hire Rick Tockett. It looked like he was. It was reported that at first. And then either the contracts fell through or Rick Tockett decided not to take the job because that, then it was reported that Rick Bonus was going to be the next head coach of Winnipeg Jets. And he was introduced actually this morning as the new head coach. Rick Bonus is over 70 years old. He's been coaching for over 40 years in the National Hockey League, a head coach, associate coach, development, all, all different levels of coaching. He's been doing it. Was the coach of Dallas the last three years. Led them to the Stanley Cup final. Led them to the playoffs in two of those three seasons. And now he heads to Winnipeg where I've been, I've been talking about it. They are in one of the more intriguing places as we head into the offseason where Mark Shifley and the team seem to be on uneasy footing. Captain Blake Wheeler and the Winnipeg Jets seem to be on, on uneasy footing. There's the Nate Schmidt of it all. There's a number of different teams that – there's a number of different players I look at. Pierre-Luc Dubois has come out and said that he's going to test unrestricted free agency in a year meaning he's going to play this year and then hit the market no matter what. So he could be on the last year of his deal in Winnipeg after being traded there from Columbus. Rick talk as uh, Rick bonus is walking into a situation where he's signed a two year contract at two and a half million dollars a season with a club option for the third year where this can go one of two ways. He's there for two years. They're competitive. Maybe they have some success or I view it as a two years where Kevin Sheville Dayoff is fired in that time period. And then Rick Bonus is not picked up for his third year for third year club option as head coach. And he goes off into the sunset and retires after two really miserable seasons as the Winnipeg Jets head coach. We haven't heard much reporting on what this offseason is going to look like for Winnipeg. Winnipeg has not said definitively that they are keeping Mark Shifley. Winnipeg has not said definitively that they're keeping Blake Wheeler. I have heard reports that they're going to try to shop Blake Wheeler, although I find that hard to believe they're going to be able to pull that off with the term that he's looked with the, with the number that he's at, and they're going to have to retain some salary and still want to be competitive. And that's tough to do in today's NHL. Just ask the Minnesota Wild. So, like I said, they're back in this good. You have Hellebuck, which it's always. It's hard to rebuild. It's hard to say you're not going to be competitive when you have one of the best goaltenders in NHL. That's a hard sell to your fan base. Josh Morrissey is there. Neil Pionk. But this team is clearly missing something. Rick Bonus said that today at his press conference, that the Winnipeg Jets are missing something. It's clear. Last season, they didn't have it all together. The, the pieces were not all in the puzzle box. 
So maybe Rick Bonus can find that. But I view a lot of these Winnipeg Jets players that have massive egos, and I have a hard time seeing it go away. I love Mark Scheifele. He's one of my favorite players in the in the whole National Hockey League. But he's extremely hard-headed. I relate. He believes what he believes. And Paul Maurice is gone, and there's still issues. There's still friction in Winnipeg. So it clearly wasn't just Paul Maurice. What Blake Wheeler, gone through goal struggles, went through injuries at times where I don't believe the team wanted to play him. I don't think Blake Wheeler wants to be in Winnipeg anymore, but he may not have a choice because no other team may want him, especially at his cap number. These two have been the pillars of this team for a very long time. I don't know how much longer it is. I'll put it this way. For Winnipeg, I view them as a different situation than Nashville. I think Nashville has a has a better defense core, has better offensive players up front consistently than Winnipeg does. I believed in Winnipeg the last number of years, and I've been wrong every time. So I have a hard time saying this team's going to find it this year and say, yeah, okay, Noah, you're finally going to be right. If I have a good offer for Mark Shifley, if I'm the Winnipeg Jets, I believe I take it. If I'm shoveling shovel day off, I, I make that deal. If I'm the Ottawa Senators, I'm making calls on Mark Shifley. Nashville, I mentioned earlier, I'm calling on Mark Shifley. I'm I'm looking around the league and saying, could we get a if I'm the Boston Bruins, if I'm the Washington Capitals? There's going to be centers available. Nazem Kadri, Mark Shifley. Where do these two? Where do these guys go? Mark Shifley's under contract, but if you can put a package together, if I'm Winnipeg and I say, you know what, we can get a young prospect for for Mark Shifley and a, and a first round draft pick and some other pieces. Why don't we do this? Why wouldn't we? The draft, the first round of the draft is Thursday night. That could be a, a deciding point where teams try to put put a package together so that Winnipeg has a first-round pick come Thursday, another one. They're, they have two right now. They have their own and the New York Rangers' first-round pick because of an, the Andrew Kopp trade. If Ottawa wants to compete, which they've said forever, that they're done rebuilding and they're done drafting in the lottery, blah, 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 blah. Be aggressive. Make a move. Acquire a center iceman that has some value, that can be a, a difference maker on your team. And maybe Winnipeg doesn't want to move Mark Shifley. But make a call. Make an offer. You've got young pieces on your team that would be valuable. Now, if I'm Winnipeg, you're not going to trade Josh Norris. I get that. You want to be competitive. You're not going to trade Drake Batherson. I get that. You're not trading Thomas Shabbat. You're not trading Brady Kachuk. He's the captain of your team. You got no goaltending. I don't want any of that. What I am interested in is Shane Pinto. Center Iceman, young forward out of Nova Scotia, Truro, Nova Scotia. The deal's not getting done unless I get Shane Pinto. Point blank. Young player, you like him, you think he can fit into your roster? That's great. We're giving you Mark Shifley. Shane Pinto plus. I want Shane Pinto a first-round pick and something else. I don't know yet. Let me think. That's the deal for me. Young prospect, number one pick, 
and something else. Doesn't have to be heaven and earth to something else, but it has to be something else that can play. Give me a position player. Give me somebody in your team that can play. Give me, uh, forget his name, Center Iceman from San Jose. They got him in the Eric Carlson, uh, the Eric Carlson trade. His name is, I'm losing his name right now. It's going to bother me for the end of this podcast, but I want him. I want that center iceman that's been on your, that's a, like a third, fourth line center. I want him. I'm losing a center. Give me another one. That's the deal. That's just one package. Boston can put a package together. I don't think Boston's package is going to be as good. Because Boston, who's Boston going to trade? I don't want Charlie Coyle back in the deal. That's that's not a win for me. That's a loss. I have to deal with Charlie Coyle for the last next year or so. I don't want him. Boston's prospects aren't exactly stellar. If I had to rank Boston's prospects as more stellar or Helen Keller, they're more Helen Keller. They're not a very good team at drafting players. They whiff. I know I've seen Ottawa's players play. I'll take, I'll take Shane Pinto and see what I can do with it. There's other teams that will want to make a move on Mark Shifley. I get it. Nashville. Nashville, I want a defenseman. Give me Fabro. Plus. These aren't easy deals to make. But Rick Bonus is a 70-plus-year-old coach. He knows the risks of signing on with this team. I'd say the odds of Mark Shifley getting traded are about 25% at this point. But I have to pontificate about it because what the hell else am I going to talk about? It's July. But I'm making calls. If you're a GM, you make calls. Because if you don't, you're not doing your due diligence, you're not doing your job, somebody else will. Maybe me. We'll see. But... Good for Rick Bonus. I thought he'd be assistant coach with Toronto. What's wrong about that? Then there was San Jose, who on Saturday or Friday, Friday and Saturday last week, were just they felt the same day. But Friday morning, they fired Bobby Bugner, who had a year left in his deal, in a really shocking fashion because San Jose has been out of hockey since early May, late April when the regular season ended and yet they fire Bugner after the Stanley cup final, after all the time had passed where Boston fired their, fires their coach and Detroit fired their coach. You go through the list of teams that decide to move on and they decided to fire Bob Bugner. Now it didn't make any sense to me. They didn't offer a really good explanation and they have not named his replacement yet. San Jose is in a weird place. Maybe Bobby Bugner did you know, looks at this team and says, "Okay, we're rebuilding." I agree. Maybe he's crazy and said we can be competitive. I don't agree. That's the only thing that makes sense to me. Is it was one way or the other. Management says we got to rebuild. Bobby Bugner says, "No way, I'm not rebuild. We're a good team. We don't trade these guys." Management goes, "Well, Bobby." Uh, just come, come into my office for me. Yeah. So this, this is the scenario. <clears throat> so, so, um, so Bob, yeah, uh, we're going to be rebuilding this year. Uh, 
We got Carlson. Might, might try to move him. We like Couture. We're going to keep him. He's our captain. Good stability for the team. Yeah. We signed Hurdle. Good player. Burnsy's the little. If we can get anything for Burnsy right now, we would. If we, we might have to retain some salary. Send this Bob Boone. Well, 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 guys. I, I don't. I don't think so. I, I think we can win. Yeah, I got one year left. I want to, you know, I want to earn a second contract. I, I think we can keep winning. Well, Bobby, no, no we're, we're going this way. Well, 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 I think we can do this, guys. I think we can do this, guys. And again, this is not Bob Boogner's voice. I'm just doing different voices to illustrate the story here. The battle between both. So then Bobby Boogner leaves the room and they say, well, our coach is not going to be invested in our plan. We're going to stink this year. Let's get somebody who is. Does San Jose go and hire Jeff Blaschel? The Detroit Red Wings head, old head coach? Because Jeff Blaschel was just in a rebuild the last five, six years in Detroit. He embraced it, didn't complain, coached the team. Coached the bad team. Whoever San Jose hires will be very telling to me on which way Bob Boogner saw the team in which way management sees the team. If you see a guy like Jeff Blaschel get hired, it tells me that this team is in the position where they know they have to rebuild to get better. They had a great run, but they're not competitive anymore. They are a coach. I'm trying to think of a coach right now that comes to mind. Paul Maurice, all the retreads have been hired. Rick Tockett would be an interesting fit. He was on a bad team in Arizona, but he's always a competitive guy. He's always like, well, we got to be our best, and I think he sells it, and he's not selling it. He believes the team can be better than it is. But if they hire a coach that's primarily on a winning team, on a winning organization, then to me, Bob Bugner was fired, and I have no sources on this because nobody has reported on this, so I can only speculate. If there's any reporting, I would talk about it. I can't, so I'm going to create my own narrative. People do it all the time. Why can't I? They fired Bugner because he either thought the team was going to be competitive and the management disagreed, or he thought the team stunk and it had to be front, you know, torn apart. He'd go through the year, sign a new contract. We'd try to rebuild from there, and the team said, we disagree. We think we're competitive. It was one or the other because this late into the process, it does not make any sense. It really doesn't. Maybe Bugner changed his mind about where he saw this team going. He looks at tape and says, my God, Brent Burns can't skate anymore. Then he looks at more tape and says, Eric Carlson stinks. Then he looks at Mark Edward Vlasic and said, we have another five years with this guy under contract at eight and a half million. Then he looks at Net and says, wait, who's our goalie again? Oh, yeah, I don't even remember. He was that fucking bad last year. It's a surprising development in San Jose. But I'm fascinated to see who the hire is. I want to know who it is. If they only promote an assistant, here's another little tell for me. They promote an assistant that was on his staff. He's a sitting duck. They got him for a year. He's going to do whatever the team says. He's going to just be a yes-man coach, and he'll be gone next year. And when the hiring cycle goes again, they'll hire the guy they really want. He's just, okay, we got all these guys. Go in there, have fun. You'll get an opportunity. We'll see where it goes. The San Jose take, 
take a call with Andrew Burnett. Won a President's Trophy last year. Competitive. He's only known a competitive environment. To me, that would signal, hey, we want to be competitive this year. We'll wait and see. Interesting. Again, that's an interesting development. Maybe I'm completely off base. I don't think I am, though. This, this is con conspiracy theory, but this conspiracy theory is based on past history. I know this league. I know pro sports. And I know horseshit when I smell it. And something is afoot in the Bay Area. Something's afoot. Brock Besser. The Vancouver Canucks re-signed their star winger to a three-year, $19.95 million contract. He's only played for the Canucks. He's been a great goal scorer at times. He's been really inconsistent at times, like that whole roster. He signs back for $6.65 million. To me, this just signals this is the going rate for scoring inconsistent in the scoring and effort department for wingers. I look around the National Hockey League. William Nylander and Brock Besser are different in body shape, but not that different when it comes to compete level. And they make around the same dollar amount. They both can score 30 goals if they want to. They both can be extremely gifted players when they want to be. Patrick Laine was second overall higher than Besser, higher than William Nylander. He's, he's in the same vein where he can be such an elite talent. He's got one of the great shots in the league. But there are nights where you look at Patrick Laine and say, you're wasting your talent. You're wasting your career on not giving a shit. And it's it's got to be frustrating for the teams that have him on the roster. There are times where Brock Besser... Is only a power play guy. He'll score the power play the rest of the game. You might not notice him. He doesn't make an impact. You look around saying, did Brock Besser play the rest of the game? Because I couldn't tell. William Nylander, same thing. Floats, doesn't go in corners. Patrick Laine takes stupid penalties. Lazy. So this is the going rate for wingers that have the ability to be top-notch goal scorers, be top-notch players, but can't always give it to you on a consistent basis. And, you know, and it's fair when you think about it, because I've seen some of the NBA contracts that were given out in the last week for Brock Besser, William Nylander type players. Lou Dort, a Canadian who I like for the Oklahoma City Thunder, but is a bench guy at heart a six-man, if you will, a good player. But I couldn't define his top skill. Maybe defense? He had a five-year, $87.5 million contract. This guy's never made an all-star game. Never been first-team all-NBA. Never been anything like that. He's making $17.5 million a season. Brock Besser, William Nylander, and Patrick Line at least all play top six. This Lou Dort, by comparison, makes 17 and a 17 and a half million dollars a season over the next five years. Fully guaranteed. So when you compare it, it sounds pretty, it's not that bad. But to me, I, I like Vancouver keeping Besser. He's frustrating. 
to me, Elias Pettersson playing consistently great every night, his his effort coming into camp in shape is big for Besser. Is I play the two together, and when Pettersson is when Pettersson cares, when Pettersson is motivated, he brings other guys into the fight, and that can really help Besser. Besser went through a lot at the end of the year. He at the end of this year, he lost his father to cancer. He missed the last couple of games of the season. Maybe we see a new Brock Besser. Maybe we see a more motivated guy. I think he had a lot in his mind this year. He didn't have a great experience in the bubble. He talked about that it was really hard in his mental health. And I applaud him for talking about that. But to me, the, the key to Brock Besser unlocking his full potential, being the best version of himself on a night-in, night-out basis, or as close to it as you possibly can, is Elias Patterson coming out of the gate hot and providing solid offense and great effort. Because Besser will then bring that into every game. And before you know it, you got a really good team on your hands. So that's that's where I view this is super important for Besser to have Elias Pedersen in lockstep with him playing, playing extremely well. Finally, we got we had the trade that this is really the start of all this NHL news. And that was and that was Minnesota trading impending restricted free agent Kevin Fiala to the Los Angeles Kings for Brock Faber, a first-round pick on the back end, the captain for the University of Minnesota, and a 2022 first-round pick. So technically two first-round picks, his Faber is a first-round pick. And then not long after, the LA Kings re-signed Kevin Fiala for a seven-year, $7.65 million contract. Here's another guy. That is so similar to Brock Besser, to William Nylander, to all these guys, where he had a great year last year, scored over 30 goals. Great season in Minnesota. But there are games where Kevin Fiala is a complete ghost. There are games where his effort is worse than any of the aforementioned wingers that I've mentioned before. And you look at him saying, where the hell were you? He just fades in and out, and he's not present. But he had a great year. I think he's going to play with Adrian Kempe. He's going to join a young core in LA who surprised people and made the playoffs last year. I think they're a team that, you know, they went to seven games with the Oilers. I think they look at the West as not a strong, it's not the stronger conference. They think they're a team that can make the playoffs again next season, potentially even going a longer run with Drew Doughty healthy and uh, Jonathan Quick and Calvin Peterson and net is not a bad two, not bad one, two tandem. So you also got Mikey Anderson, who should be playing more consistently in the back end, who I really like, who's another uh, American defenseman that LA had. And it's a lot of money. To me, it's a lot of money for Kevin Fiala, for a guy that I, I just don't trust him to be great. Seven years is a long term. But the, the good thing is, like I said, you're going to get good moments from this guy. You're going to get your bad moments where a coach is just tearing his head off saying, this guy pisses me off so much. But he does have high-end scoring. He's a very good player. He does bring more of a physicality occasionally to games. He can be a chippy guy more than Line A, more than Nylander, more than Besser. I lump all these guys together because I think they're so similar. And so he's a it's a gamble, but I would say it's a good gamble because – Again, he's such a good goal scorer. I think he's got a good hockey IQ, and I think he'll be motivated going to L.A. 
Minnesota didn't want to lose this player, but they have $15 million in dead cap this season. They weren't going to be able to get him. And teams knew this. So I think for Minnesota, this is a great return. You get Brock Faber, who's a captain at the University of Minnesota in a first-round pick, and LA's 2022 first. So you get an early 20s first-round pick. You get your own first-round pick. So you get a first-round pick in this draft because you traded yours for Marc-Andre Fleury. So all in all, I think this is a good move for both teams. LA gets another – they needed a skill forward. They got Kempe, Kopitar. You, you, Kopitar is not a, scoring many goals anymore. You need a dynamic score on your team. Victor Arvidsson wasn't not, not going to do it every night. So you need guys that can be a difference maker that can score goals. Trevor Moore is not a guy that's going to score 30 goals a season. Fiala can be that guy. So like they, there are warts to this guy's game, but every player does. But I'm just, I'm just pointing out some for if you're not familiar with the guy. But you look at L.A. and you say, do they need another skill forward? Absolutely. They did. They weren't going to let another team get him. L.A. spots him, says we can sign him the second we trade for him. It's an easy, it's basically a sign and trade. And you get it done. It's, it's good business for, for the Los Angeles Kings. You identify the need. You got it. You had to get rid of a, a good prospect to do it. But like I said, you got Mikey Anderson. You got Sean Dursey. You got Jordan Spence in your pipeline. So if Brock Faber has to be the guy that goes overboard, so be it. You build on the guys that you have already in your system that you're already trying to develop. So good piece of business on both fronts. And good, you know, good value for, for a guy like, uh, like Kevin Fiala. Before we get off hockey, we pivot to the NBA where there's been so much chaos. Craig Button released his mock draft today before the before the uh, NHL draft, which comes on Thursday night. He has Shane Wright going number one overall to Minnesota. Uh, sorry, to Montreal. I agree with Craig. I think Minnesota will take Shane Wright. And Cole McDonald's going to be on the show on Wednesday. He's a big Montreal fan. We're going to talk about this. I'm going to ask him who he wants Montreal to take. I wouldn't take Shane Wright. I'd take Yaroslav Oski. I just, I just like the player more. Shane Wright's motor. You know, I've talked about motors a lot today, but guys, it's their compete level. Normally, centers don't just fade into games. It's hard for a center to fade into a game where you go, what did this guy do? Because you have to play defensively. You have to be all over the ice. You're taking draws. I watched Shane Wright a lot this year. World Juniors. I watched him in the OHL playoffs. I probably watched Shane Wright 25 to 30 times this year. I, I know. I need a life. But there are times where I just looked at the game as it were, is he? I never thought that about Nick Suzuki, watching him at his age. Nick Suzuki was also always involved in the play. Shane Wright would fade away for me. He might turn out, I think he can be a number two center in the NHL in all likelihood. And But I think that's his cap. I don't see him being a number one. And I take Slavovsky because I think this guy can score 35 to 40 goals in the National Hockey League. These guys aren't Matthews. They aren't McDavid. I think Slavovsky can be a guy that can be a big difference maker. Yes, he plays wing and not center, but he's a better goal scorer. And that's the hardest thing to do in the NHL right now. You can find a great goal scorer. I'll take him and see what I can do with him. But I agree with Craig. I think his, his list is spot on. He's got Shane Wright going to Montreal. He's got New Jersey getting 
New Jersey getting uh, Slavowski, and then Logan Cooley going third Arizona. I agree with them. I'm going to talk about a, a couple of players later in the week that I really like that are going to go later in the first round and why I like them and just who I, who I think are going to be steals later in the draft, which I'm excited to talk about. So we're going to do that uh, later in the week. We'll talk about that when I get into when we get into the draft and we'll have full reaction uh, Friday from the first round of the NHL draft where we see who each team takes. And Walker Campbell is going to join me on uh, Friday to talk about all of that. NBA. NBA. Well, in the last week or so, nothing's happened in the NBA. I mean, let's just run through it. Kevin Durant requested a trade from the Brooklyn Nets. Kyrie Irving opted in, but still wants to be traded from the Brooklyn Nets. Well, Rudy Gobert was traded for basically an entire team to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Zach Levine stayed in Chicago. Surprise me. Nikola Jokic signed a Supermax for $265 million over five years. That fifth year, his player option will be for $60 million. Not a bad day. Bruce Brown goes to Denver. Let's see. Jalen Brunson signs with the Knicks. Spurs trade their best player. Boston gets a lot better. I'm missing some things, but these are the main headlines for me. I'm not going to start with Kevin Durant. That's We'll get there. I want to start with this Rudy Gobert trade from the Utah Jazz to the Minnesota Timberwolves. I have a soft spot in my heart for the Minnesota Timberwolves because my favorite NBA player is Anthony Edwards. The Ant-Man, first overall pick, is a straight killer. Great player, was great in the movie Hustle. Had a solid start to his playoff career. I think this kid's going to be so damn good. And I wouldn't doubt he's a champion, just like my old favorite NBA player was, Dirk, when his career is over. But Minnesota's got a good nucleus. I think they got a good head coach. You got Anthony Edwards. You had Cat, Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell, you got to hope to move off of. Malik Beasley, Van, Vanderbilt, I liked. He was a 3 and D guy. But you got, you got a solid team. So on Wednesday, they signed Carl Anthony Towns, the power forward slash center, to a max extension. Makes sense. Really good player. Is, stu- is a stupid, stupid player at times. But he does have a great three-point shot. And I think he can play more back to the basket. So I'm thinking... That's what you do in the offseason. You convince him to be your full-time center, and you move on from there. That's he's your. You don't need to make a move for a center. He's your guy because he should play more in the post. Stop going out to the three-point line as much as you are. Makes sense. So as I'm absorbing that, I see after I get off the boat on Friday that the Utah Jazz have traded Gobert to Minnesota. But for what? Well, how about three first-round picks and a pick swap in 2028? Their 2022 first-round pick, Walker Kessler, good center out of Auburn. Patrick Beverly, who cares? Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt. Only for this is all for Rudy Gobert. Three first. 
It's technically four first round picks because you took the 2022 first round pick. This is one of the most inexplicable, one of the stupidest trades that I can recall. To me, this makes absolutely no sense. None. Carl Anthony Towns is a power forward slash center that does play with his back to the basket. That will go into the paint, can be great in the paint, get offensive rebounds, and can hunt people when he's in the paint. Rudy Gobert is a center that is a traditional center, like a Shaquille O'Neal, like a Hakeem Olajuwon, that only plays in the paint. Dwight Howard. He will go at about five feet, might throw a baby hook, but his shot, his primary shot is a dunk or a little putback. He's won three defensive player of the years. He's a very good defensive center, although when you use the pick and roll on him, he has weaknesses. When you switch on to Rudy Gobert, he has his problems defensively. I don't love him as a player. He has severe limitations because he can only play in the paint. And in this new NBA, with ball movement and three-point shooting and spacing, it's extremely difficult to play with two people in the paint at all times. So if Gobert is going to be in the paint 100% of the time, which he has been so far in his whole career, so I'm going to stick with the fact that he has done that every game he's played, so let's stick with that. That would tell me that Carl Anthony Towns is going to spend less time than he has already in the paint when I think he should be in there more. That means Carl Anthony Towns is going to shoot more three-pointers, He's a good three-point shooter, but he shouldn't shoot as many as he is right now. Get your ass in the paint where you can hunt people. So he's going to shoot more three-pointers. I'm guessing his three-point percentage is going to go down next year because he's shooting more. His numbers will likely go down. His rebounds will likely go down. I'm not sure he's even an all-star. Vanderbilt's a great wing defender. I like him. He's a valuable piece. Malik Beasley, I like Patrick Beverly's a nuisance. Walker Kessler would have been a good backup center. I like he played at Auburn. I like him. I think he's a, a good player. You trade all these position players and three first round picks and technically another first rounder for Rudy Gobert. It ruins your spacing. It ruins one of your key cogs who you just signed to a max extension. Anthony Edwards, and now who? You, you also have, as I mentioned, I mean, forgetting his damn name, as I mentioned earlier, because he's, he's a problem already. <coughs> D'Angelo Russell. He's a stupid player. Cat makes dumb decisions. Gobert is limited. Minnesota believes they got better. I don't think they got better. This team is on the rise. I think it just took a swift kick in the nuts. This trade is idiotic to me. It makes no sense. It ruins everything that Minnesota was building. Spacing is dead for this team. Dead. Utah Jazz just got a steal. Danny Ainge just pulled off a swindle of the Minnesota Timberwolves. He did this in Boston. 
when he traded old Kevin Garnett and old Paul Pierce and old Ray Allen to the Brooklyn Nets because they were so desperate to be relevant, kind of like they are now in 2022. And Brooklyn stunk, and Boston turned those into Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and all the great draft picks they were able to get and turn it into a team that made the NBA Finals this year. Can Utah do that? They still have Donovan Mitchell. They say they're not going to trade him. I don't buy it yet. Danny Ainge is the GM. He'll do whatever the hell he wants to do. They got a decent team. They can be competitive in the Western Conference. But it's an inexplicable trade. That makes no sense to me. I don't know where this goes. But I, just, I think it's baffling and I think it's stupid, quite frankly. I was going to talk about Brooklyn, but they're not as interesting to me as the Boston Celtics. I think the Boston Celtics had a great couple days in free agency slash trades. Boston in the playoffs, their biggest issue to me was not having a pr primary ball handler. They put it in Tatum's hands. They put it in Brown's hands. They put it in Smart's hands. It was never in the right hands. It never looked smooth. It never looked right. And the offense was stagnant. The offense had its issues. So what did they do? They realized this and said, you know what? Malcolm Brogdon is in Indiana. Team stinks. They want to continue to rebuild, but they got a lot of guards. They got Matherin. They, they got uh, Tyrese Halliburton. They're going to want to make some changes here. And Brogdon was expendable. And they ended up trading away Tice, trading away some, some first-rounders, Nick Stauskas, Neesmith to Indiana. And they get Malcolm Brogdon. It's a great acquisition. Boston needed a ball handler. Brogdon is a good ball handler. He can create shot opportunities for Tatum, for Brown, for Smart, and they don't have to be. Marcus Smart's not a point guard. He took that offensively in the media. I don't care what he had to say, but I disagree with him. He's not. He's not a primary ball handler. I saw it in the finals. They took the ball out of his hands because they didn't trust him. They said, Tatum, please try to do this, even though you're, you're playing defense primarily on the best player and you have no confidence and you have some kind of fake shoulder injury. So it, it was a disaster there. But you get a ball handler. Love that. Then you get Daniil Gallinari, who was bought out by San Antonio from the trade from Atlanta. Gallinari can still play. He's played on good teams. He's never won a championship yet, but he's a perfect backup wing. He can play minutes better than Derek White can, better than uh, Grant Williams. Gallinari can play in the postseason and play well. He's played, he stepped up. He's a great six man for Boston. He can play 20 to 22 minutes a game if you need him to. I love these two acquisitions are exactly what Boston needed and they addressed it. So Brad Stevens wasn't a great coach at the end of his run there. He's been a pretty damn good executive so far. Two needs. We need bench scoring. We need a bench wing that can bring us some value. Daniel Gallinari is on the market. We're, we're getting him. We need a primary ball handler that can be in our starting lineup. Malcolm Brogdon, let's trade for him. We don't have to give up the world deal. This is better for this is a better frequency than uh, Minnesota. 
It's better than the Knicks giving Jalen Brunson all this money, who they're going to ask to be their best player when on a championship team he's your third or fourth best player. To me, this makes more sense than Atlanta getting DeJounte Murray. I like DeJounte Murray, but he's got to play with Trey Young. So you have two guards that aren't exactly tall who demand the ball playing together. Is that going to work? Trey Young's got an ego. DeJounte Murray maybe doesn't have as big a one because he's in San Antonio and nobody watched him play, but he's a damn good player. Is that that doesn't speak to me that it's going to work? Golden State resigned Kevon Looney. They get Dante DiVincenzo, but you lose Gary Payton Jr. the second to Portland. So to me, the best free agencies I look at here. Levine going back to Chicago is all well and good. You get Goran Dragic, that that's fine, and you know you, you keep Patrick Williams. You still got Demar, but Boston's uh, Chicago's got their limitations. Atlanta, sure. The Knicks, no. To me, the two best free agencies that I see are Boston and Denver, and for very different reasons. I mentioned Boston because of what they did. Denver, I like it because you get Jokic back. Obviously, Supermax, he didn't leave. He could have left the team and, and said, you know what, I want to trade out of here. He's not playing at Kevin Durant. He's staying in Denver. And you add Bruce Brown, who's a solid wing player who can play defense and play hard on your team. But you get Jamal Murray back. You get you get players back on your team that can make a difference. I, I like that their, their roster is getting healthier and their team is already good. So... I like Denver's agency and I like the Boston Celtics because they looked at their team and said, what can we do to improve it? Not let's make the splashiest move. Let's just, let's look and be honest with ourselves and said, what is our biggest problem here? And they addressed it. So kudos to Denver, the Denver Nuggets and the Boston Celtics for doing that. They said, we have to fix, we have good teams. We need to make these subtle moves to put ourselves in contention to win a title i think denver and i think boston both did that we'll see if paid dividends comes you know june next year but i like both of their free agencies they don't have to shift their roster to get these players now let's get to brooklyn last thursday kevin durant requested a trade from the brooklyn nets and i've been thinking about this last number of days saying well where can kevin durant go and originally i said well he'll go to miami but I learned that Miami cannot trade Bam on a Bayou to the Brooklyn Nets because Bam and Ben Simmons were in the same draft class. And there's an NBA rule where you can't sign the same, you can't sign two players in the same draft class to their extension following their rookie contract. It's very convoluted. I don't know why this is a rule, but Ben Simmons and Bam Adebayo can't play together until their third NBA contract. CBA. Don't know why. That's a rule. So if I'm looking at it, well, who would Brooklyn want? Maybe Jimmy Butler, but uh, I don't. I don't want Jimmy Butler in that number the next couple of years, making a lot of money. Okay, give me. Okay, Tyler Hero. Okay, who else? You know. Max Struess, like you, you look at it and you feel you're like, well, nothing there. Phoenix, Phoenix is not going to trade Devin Booker. They're not putting Devin Booker in the trades. So you say we'll give you DeAndre Ayton, Mikael Bridges, and some picks. I don't love that. I got to re-sign DeAndre Ayton to a max contract, so I have to give him all this money, and then I got Mikael Bridges, who's a 
defensive specialist. Eh. Some teams Kevin Durant is not going to go to. He's not going to Detroit, who could offer a good package. He's not going to Milwaukee. The Lakers, of course, the Lakers are in the mix, but who are they going to trade? Russell Westbrook for him? And who else? They got no picks till 2027, so that's not going to work. Then I heard, well, the Raptors. The Raptors would offer a really good package. If I'm the Raptors, I consider it. But to me, there's two options. Kevin Durant's going to be traded to the Toronto Raptors, or Kevin Durant's going to start the season with the Brooklyn Nets. Because Brooklyn, first off, Brooklyn, if I'm Brooklyn, I'm playing hardball. I'm not trading Kevin Durant. You're on, you're under contract for the next four years. I'm not doing you a favor just because you're bitching and you're upset about your situation. We'll trade you when I'm good and ready. But I'm not doing it right now just because you're upset about the situation that you're in. You signed the deal. You wanted to play with you know, anti-vax king here. That's on you, not us. But if I'm also Brooklyn, yeah, Katie, I'll trade you. But there's nobody right now, there's no trade package that excites me. There's no trade package that I'm, I'm trading away one of the 15 best players in the history of basketball. And I'm getting back you know, a church pew for it. I'm not doing that. I'm not making that deal. <laughs> so to me, I could see Kevin Durant starting the season on the Brooklyn Nets with Kyrie Irving. Maybe Kyrie Irving gets flipped to Los Angeles for Russell Westbrook. I'm not. He's expiring, but they're both expiring contracts. I'd rather have Kyrie for a season than Russell Westbrook. Even though Kyrie Irving's a pain in the ass, Russell Westbrook's a pain in the ass in a different way. But there's no package that would excite me unless there's a team that comes out of nowhere. The Golden State one would be interesting, or Toronto. The Golden State could throw Wiggins in the deal, and James Wiseman, and Jonathan Kaminga. That would be a really interesting deal. If Golden, if if the uh, if the uh, if the Nets want to go down that path, and go, and Kevin Durant ends up going back to Golden State, and what a turn of events that would be. I would that would be the trade that would excite me the most because you got Wiseman who's unproven but young. Kaminga uh, was unproven but young. Wiggins was just great in an NBA Finals, and you throw in another player in there. Or you go with the Raptors, where if I'm the Nets, I say, yeah, Scotty, Scotty Barnes is coming back in the deal. I don't care what, what the deal, the rest of the deal is. Scotty Barnes picks and Pascal Siakam, because you need to make the money work. That's a lot to give up if you're the Toronto Raptors. You still have OG, you still have Fred Van Fleet. Can the rest of your roster be good enough to win a title? Wait to see. The Bucs still look pretty damn good, and I still like the Celtics a lot too. But to me, the, I guess I'll throw in Golden State as the third option, but those are the three options for me. Golden State, the Raptors, or he starts in Brooklyn to begin the season. Teams get more and more desperate if they have a slow start. If they look around and say, we're not going to win, and then they'll make a bombshell trade that maybe they forget. Vis-a-vis Brooklyn for James Harden. There's a sucker born every day. Maybe there's a team that says, we need to trade for Kevin Durant. We'll trade the farm, and we'll have nothing left and flock out in the second round. That could happen. I just don't see an easy trade. I don't see a move that makes all the, makes total sense for Brooklyn to make, where they end up just as well in the deal as, as a team getting Kevin Durant. I'm not trading Kevin Durant just because you want to go. 
we're getting a deal that satisfies me as well. There's no rush on this deal. There's no games till October. So you're going to be on our roster for a while. We're going to pay you, of course. But you were rushed to trade. We'll trade you on our time. Not because you want one today. That's how I'd approach the situation. This weekend, I mean, hockey's done, NBA's done. I mean, watched a lot of uh, baseball. Watched UFC 256 this past weekend. Or UFC 276. Might have been 270. I think it was 276. I get the numbers mixed up. Look that up here quick. But I think it was 276. Yes, it was. We saw Israel Adianza and Alexander the Great Volvanovsky retain their belts. They're two great fighters. I know Alexander the Great wants to move up in weight class and fight Charles Oliveira. I get that. I want to see him fight Henry Cejudo personally. I, I like Triple C a lot. I want to see I want to see those two fight. I think they're two of the all-time greats. That's the fight I want to see personally. Oliveira can fight Makachev and see if he can redeem himself after that last outing where he failed to make weight. For for Izzy. He's one of the, you know, he's got a big personality. He's great on the mic. I'll give him that. His fights are boring. And that's not his problem. He keeps winning. Good for him. But he's not a guy that you just, you, you got to see his fights. He fought against Canier. He fought against Marvin Vetter. He fought against Rob, Robert Whitaker. All three fights are pretty, were not that memorable to me. There's never a point in the fight where Izzy was in trouble. I give him credit for that against Canier. It was very, very just surgical. He knew he's going to win the fight. He's going to win quite easily, but it was boring. But now he wants to fight Alex Pereira, who he's lost to twice in kickboxing. Pereira knocked out Sean Strickland in the third fight of the card in the first round in an impressive fashion. That's the fight to see. He's beaten Whitaker twice. He's beaten Vettery twice. He's beaten Canier. He's beaten, you know, uh, Anderson Silver. Everybody he's put in front of him, he's beaten. I want to see him do it against a guy that has beaten him outside of the cage before. I expect to see that fight before the end of 2022. But UFC's in a good, you know, Sugar Sean. It turned out to be a car that I was very much looking forward to. It was a bit of a letdown. Sugar Sean O'Malley's fight was cut short because of an inadvertent eye poke. But to me, Pedro Munoz didn't want anything to do with that fight. And he got out of it before Sugar Sean knocked him the fuck out. So it wasn't a great card, but it, you know, Donald Cowboy Cerrone retired. He saw that. I think Robbie Lawler should have retired. If he didn't, he lost his fight to Brian Barbarena, the second fight on the main card where he got knocked out. So you saw some some good things. You saw some up and coming fighters. You know, Duplices is is an impressive guy. He beat Brad Tavares. So. You saw some good things from the USC 276, but it could have been better. That's for sure. What was great over the weekend, I watched a ton of tennis. Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal dominate the sport for good reason, because they win practically every match they play. Nadal going for the calendar grand slam he's currently in action right now i got that match taping so i'm not going to look at the score we'll talk about it tomorrow but the most fascinating the most interesting tennis player on the planet is nick curios 
Nick, if you're if you're not if you're new to tennis, you don't watch it all the time. Throw on a Nick Kyrgios match. You'll be entertained. Something will happen where you go, wow, I might keep watching tennis because this guy's a lunatic. He is incredibly fascinating to me. He's always doing something outside the outside the box, and I, I love it. To me, he makes the sport more interesting. To me, he's just he's a guy you can easily root for. And you're like, do I like this guy? Do I hate this guy? That's what you want in sports. You want to have a debate over whether you like him or you hate him. To me, he's an incredibly likable. He's incredibly likable as an unlikable guy, if that makes sense. But he's an incredible tennis player. He's off to the quarterfinals. One today. He's gonna play. He's gonna play uh, another unranked player in the quarterfinal, and. If Nadal wins his today, Nadal wins in the quarter, and Kyrgios gets a win, they'll play each other, and those two do not like one another. That'd be a great semifinal on Friday at Wimbledon. That's something that the mothership, that everybody in the tennis world would sign up for to see these two guys go, you know, head to head on on Friday morning at the All England Club. We're gonna get into some baseball stories tomorrow. We'll talk some more about any developments in the NBA or the NHL world. Um, also getting uh, some different stories as well. So I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. It was great to be back. Had a lot to say today. A lot of takes And the NBA is always turning. We always got different stuff going on. We'll talk about it all. We'll talk about the, the Jays week. They start a series in Oakland tonight, uh, in the West coast, some 4th of July games, uh, all-star games coming up, getting to that time of year where the trade, the trade deadline for, for baseball will start to heat up. We'll, we'll get into that as well. So, Great to be back. We'll be back tomorrow. This to the point.